What's up, horror fans? It's Danny from the Lasso Cast, joined as always by my brother down south in Texas, Anchor Pete. What's going on, Pete? Oh, not much, man. I am uh, just enjoying this weather here in Texas. It's actually like cooling off right now. It's been raining. It's like 70-something. What's it like in New York right now? Still muggy and hot. It's about 80-something. But much more than that, we are finally getting back yes. to talking about why we started this channel in the first place two yes. years ago during the pandemic. And I figured I had to wear uh, appropriate attire yeah. Uh, as we return to the world of Mike Flanagan, uh, we are going to be reviewing and talking about one of the only Mike Flanagan movies that we haven't talked about yet, Ouija Origin of Evil from 2016, a movie that I credit with one of my all-time greatest theater experiences, uh, and really I think the movie that sold me that not only is Mike Flanagan a really good filmmaker, but he might just be that next guy in horror. Mm -hmm. uh, because I think Chris had got me started by telling me about Absentia. And then Oculus uh, was around. I had like, I had actually fallen asleep during Oculus a couple different times. But I was like, all right, I'm going to give Oculus another try. And then like, love it. And then this was the movie where I was like, Ouija, really? <laughs> and this was the movie that I think really sold me on it. You just watched it for the first time, right? I did, yeah. And it's kind of cool that it's on Netflix, right? Because you have this, you have Hush. Uh, are there other Flanagan movies on Netflix? I mean, he's basically married to Netflix and Kate <laughs> Siegel. Um, uh, he, well, obviously, Gerald's Game, Hush and Gerald's Game were direct to Netflix movies. And then of course, Haunting of Hill House and Bly Manor and Midnight Mass are all on there. So it's almost a one-stop shop. Oh, uh, before I wake, the only, after today, the only Flanagan movie that we have not covered, that is also on Netflix too. I know okay. for a fact. Yeah, I'm not sure if Dr. Sleep is. Um, yeah, I'm not sure about Dr. Sleep, but... It, I feel like that's on HBO Max because, um, like, it's Warner Brothers, right? Oh, and okay. Like, a lot of Warner Brothers stuff is on HBO Max. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, Ouija, um, I, I, like you said, uh, it, it, I'm, I'm really glad it's on Netflix because this was a movie that wasn't available on streaming for a while. And, like, I, it's actually funny. I, I just said before, one of my favorite theater experiences ever. I hadn't actually watched it again since the movie theater. Okay. Uh, so this is the first time this morning that I've rewatched this movie since 2016. Oh, wow. And I'm really glad that, uh, at least in my opinion, it held up. Um, and I, I, I genuinely love this movie. So I'm really interested to hear what you have to say about it. Yeah, you know, it's weird because like when you think 2016, right? That's not really that long ago. When I saw that on the uh, Wikipedia that came out in 2016, I was like, holy shit. Like, because think about all that he's done since this movie. It's like yeah. every year he has like a big thing that at least we're talking about, but like Twitter's always talking about, you know, we just had Midnight Mass and we he's had, got, you know. He's got the Midnight Club, Midnight Society. Is right, coming that's out. coming out. 
Right. Then we had the Haunting of Blind Manor before that, Haunting of Hill House. You know, I went through his filmography today so I could rank them at the end of this episode. You and mean it's just kind of oh there you go. Why do I have to even look it up? You just just turn your shirt around. There you go. Perfect. I was afraid I was gonna moon the screen there. I don't know. Oh, we might get more views. That's okay. Huh? <laughs> but anyway, like, you know, he, he's done so much in that small window of time. It's only been six years since this movie, but it feels like a decade. I mean, well, because of the real world too, but because of everything he's done since 2016. And so um I, I found like this felt more like um absentia than it felt like his more modern stuff you know um but i actually really liked this movie you know you're a big wrestling guy you know how there's that vince mcmahon meme where he's like looking at the stripper or whatever it is and like he's had that face like oh and then like his eyes turn red and blow up at one point it's like mike flanagan movies like oh Mike Flanagan movie with the family issue. Oh, right. And then like Mike Flanagan movie with Henry Thomas. And then he just like falls out of his chair, you know? Well, it's funny because this movie almost feels like a prequel, not to the far inferior Ouija, but it almost feels like a prequel to The Haunting of Hill House because it's essentially the cast of right. Haunting of Hill House right. uh, in, in this movie. Yes. Um, and it's also, I mean, he's used the same crew mm-hmm. from the beginning. Um, like the the DP on this movie is Michael Fim, Fim, uh, Michael Fimignari, who he's used on almost every project. Uh, he co-wrote this with Jeff Howard, who he co-wrote a lot of his earlier films with, including Oculus. Uh, Trevor uh, Macy produced it. He produces almost all of his stuff. The Newton brothers do the score. It's like he very early on built himself a a, a family, like the Flana family, you know? Uh, right. And we always talk about it. and And that crew just continues to go to, to bat for him, acting, writing music, writing screenplays direct uh, cinematography wise uh it, it really does feel almost like more of a prequel to haunting of hill house and the other uh, mike flanagan filmography than it does to the movie it's actually a prequel for which was really a piece of crap little movie based on a, a hasbro yeah. board game uh, <laughs> that, which is even funnier because oh god Cats are knocking things over. Have you even seen Ouija? I have not seen Ouija, no. Neither have I. Oh, okay, okay. Well, that explains a lot. It, it, <laughs> is, it is on HBO Max. I checked. And, and yeah. now that I watched this this morning, I'm actually going to watch Ouija to see if maybe watching it after this. Because I'll be honest, I, I actually enjoyed the original Annabelle more yeah. after re-watching it, after watching Annabelle Comes... What was the second one? It was Annabelle Creation and then Annabelle Comes Home. Comes Home is the third one. Yeah. And then I yeah. rewatched the original and I was like, yeah, it's not great, but it, it works better after. Yes. And yep. and I, I happen to think that it, those are very similar because, you know. That's what I was going to say is it kind of feels like there was like a trend going on where you had The Conjuring and it had that kind of feeling. Then you had Annabelle and you had the prequel of Annabelle, which is like a, you know taking place in like, what was that? Like the thirties or forties, the original, the Annabelle creation. 
Yeah, I think so. Right? And it's kind of funny because that Annabelle prequel kind of has a similar ending to this movie, too. Yeah. Well, the other yeah. thing is they they kind of just threw these, like, disposable horror movies out there. Ouija and Annabelle. You know, Possessed Doll, Possessed Board Game. Like, it, it almost feels like when Blumhouse threw out, like, Truth or Dare. Or uh, you know, movies like that, which they're going to make their money back on their opening weekend, but they're not going to be great. And, you know, okay. But then they hired young up and coming horror directors to do the prequels. Flanagan here. I don't remember his name, but I think it's the director from lights out who got, I want to say David Sandberg. I, I, that name sounds familiar. That, that is I, the director. He's the one that's gone on to do Shazam. David Sandberg is the director of Lights Out. Okay. Uh, he might have done Annabelle Creation. I, yes, I he know. did. He did. Okay. So so it was like, you know, we, we, we made this disposable horror movie that made us our money back. Let's make a prequel to it. But actually, let's try to make that one good. And hire, <laughs> yeah. and hire a, a, like a good up-and-coming horror director. You know, like you said, back in 2016, which feels like it was 40 years ago. No kidding. Uh, Mike, <laughs> Flanagan, Mike Flanagan had only done Absentia, which was as bare bones a project as you can get. And Oculus um, were his only two. 2016, he also did Hush and Before I Wake. But Before I Wake didn't actually get released until much later on. There were a lot of issues with that movie. I don't think it actually came out till uh, 2018. And Hush was a direct-to-Netflix movie. So right. this was his first theatrical movie. It was only his third movie. I think the only the second one that came out in theaters. Oculus oh. and then this one. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, you know, it's weird before I wake, I know like nothing about that one and we keep mentioning it. I, I don't think I've ever seen a trailer, a poster, anything from it. Uh, this I'd heard about because so many times you and I have had these discussions of like, then he makes this random Ouija movie. And, and it's funny because like the first Ouija movie was a success because I mean, pretty much horror movies always are successes when they come out, right? Cause they have small budgets. People just want to go see horror movies, but Ouija had like bad critical reception, right? And so Jordan Bloom, I think, was the producer. Jason Bloom, yeah. I, I'm sorry, Jason Bloom. And uh, he, you know, was like, let's just get Jason Peele and Jordan Bloom. They, yeah, 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 perfect marriage, yeah. And so um, he brings them together. Well, he doesn't bring them together. You just brought them together with your heads. He um, <laughs> tells Flanagan to make this movie, and Flanagan didn't want it to have any connections, really, to the uh, original movie. He just made like little small little references, but he wanted it to be like he'd come in fresh, like you and me, and appreciate it. And um, I, I think it's pretty tight. Honestly, I don't really have complaints or anything about this movie at all. You know, like there's there's not really criticism. I, honestly, like I don't think I've ever had a criticism about a Flanagan project that we've reviewed on here. I mean, it makes sense that we are the Lasser cast because like ultimately we have such reverence for him and his work. Yeah. Uh, there was, there's one scene in this movie that I didn't love, Okay. but, but even that, that one scene kind of corrects itself at the end. Okay. So like, we haven't really talked about the plot like yet. <laughs> yeah. So 
uh, I guess let's get into the movie and we'll yeah. talk about um, some spoiler warning for a movie that came out six years ago. Um, basically, the, the first thing that you notice about this movie when it starts is how retro the movie feels. And that was a direct, that was intentional by Flanagan. He wanted this movie to feel like it was a 70s movie or yeah. 60s movie. And it really does feel like that. Like you get the old universal uh, logo and then like the Ouija origin of evil is like framed. And I don't know if you noticed, did you see the cigarette burns in the oh, top? Yes. I, it, it, it genuinely, and of course I know that because of uh, Brad Pitt Fight Club. Fight Club. Right. Yeah. But like it, it genuinely feels like you're watching almost like you, you picked up a VHS tape. And you put it in a VCR and you forget that you're watching it on Netflix right. uh, on like an HDTV. <laughs> uh, but it really has that retro vibe. Like it, it almost feels like the colors in the movie are are not as bright. Uh, there's a lot of like, like kind of hunter greens and, and, <laughs> and like, it just kind of feels like the whole thing takes place at your grandmother's house. You know what I mean? I do. I do. Yes. Yes. So I love that uh, aspect of it, yeah. and yeah, uh, and and the cast, and like you said, you know, with the, with the Vince McMahon meme, it, what makes Flanagan so great is he makes these movies, but the horror comes especially because he gives you characters that you care so much about, uh, so characters that are so easily easy to identify with, easy to empathize and sympathize with. And you actually care about them so that when these terrible things start happening, you actually feel worry for them. You know, right. uh, so you have Elizabeth Reeser who plays, uh, she's the mom and she's a hack psychic. Yes. Uh, What's the word that she gets called at the beginning that the daughter's like, are we fr not a fraud? You know, oh. Scam. Are we a scam? Yeah, artist? yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, uh, yeah. Alice Xander, right? So you got Alice Xander, uh, Doris Xander, and Paulina Xander, and that's Lena. Yeah. Yeah. It's really and funny. Instead of writing their names from this movie, I wrote down their character names from Haunting of Hill House. So I'm like, Elizabeth Reeser plays Shirley. Oh. No, I'm like, no, no, she doesn't play Shirley. That's why. Right, 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 right. And, and then, of course, Henry Thomas is in Hill House, too, but he plays Father Tom Hogan. You got a little cameo from Kate Siegel in the very beginning there. Yep. Okay, there, there's my one criticism. I think Kate Siegel always looks awesome with her dark hair. Blonde hair was kind of throwing me off a little bit. That, that's my one criticism. Beautiful woman just, I was like, whoa, I'm, I'm, who is that? I couldn't tell at first, you know? <laughs> it's funny. It was, it was jarring. I'm looking at her and I'm like, that looks like Kate Siegel, but I've never seen her blonde. Okay. Right. Okay. It is. All right. Yeah. Um, you know, you brought up a really, really good point before about how we care about the characters. And I think that, um, that that's a really good point to kind of dwell on because horror movies in general, it almost feels like they intentionally don't make the characters complex or they're, they're not as concerned with character development. So it's, it's just not, you don't care. It doesn't feel adult. It doesn't feel mature. Flanagan stuff feels adult. It feels mature. You know, yeah. um, I, I can think of other movies that we've seen where, 
you know, the, the characters seem developed and it, it feels like a, a drama versus just like people ready to kill, right? For some reason, like the first thing that pops in my head is The Wicked and the Divine. Oh, not the, that's a fucking comic book. The, what's the, the Wicked, the guy that made- um, Dark and the Wicked? There you go. I knew it was like something and Wicked, right? Yeah. Like that yeah, one, that... you really, you really feel for like the family on the farm and the kids having to kind of take over for their fucking horrible parents situation. And uh, that's just one example I can think of. That doesn't have as much dialogue as a Flanagan film does, but that kind of feeling, like you know, when they talk about like the elevated horror bullshit, like the um, the, the the one company that puts out is it's a twenty four, right? They put out yeah. Men and X and all that kind of shit. Like that's where you get this kind of like character development. It's not just for the scares. Yeah. I don't think Flanagan's never made an A24 movie, right? No, but like, it, but his work is very similar to that. Cause you get like, you know, like Ari Aster's work, like Hereditary. Right. Hereditary would not be as scary to me if I wasn't emotionally invested in right. Tony Collette as a mother right. and her kids and you know, all the grief that's going on around them. Uh, I, I was just thinking of, uh, you, you said a 24. Oh God. Something just flew into my head and flew out of it. All right. But, uh, yeah, hey, maybe it was I, the I, spirit of like a Polish immigrant. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> the, uh, yeah. It was uh, Hitler's, the uh, demon do devil doctor. Right. 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 <laughs> yeah. So we were we were kind of talking about like the the plot. So essentially, um, Alexander, played by Elizabeth Reeser, you know, she's just trying to make ends meet, and she's got this very involved um, seance ritual that she has her daughters participate in. And you have the one daughter, Lena, who's kind of rebellious. She sneaks out of her house, and you know, she kind of talks back to her mom. But um, the other daughter gets interested in this Ouija board that they buy for the family and they start to incorporate the Ouija board into the ritual. And it seems like it's authentic finally. And um, that's where we get the sort of exorcist vibe. And I know that Flanagan said that one of his influences for this movie was the exorcist, which kind of goes along with what you were talking about before of feeling like a VHS tape instead of, uh, you know, watching a VHS tape instead of watching Netflix. But he also mentioned a movie called The Watcher in the Woods. Have you seen that? Oh, my God. Uh, so this is a 100% true story. That was the scariest movie I had ever seen when I was, like, four years old. And my <laughs> mom tells me all the time that I would be scared, and she would be, and she would say, what are you scared of? And I would go, look, Watcher, Mommy, look, Watcher. Uh, it was a Disney movie oh. with, I want to say, Betty Davis. Okay. And it's about like this creepy older woman and these kids. And, you know, it was one of those, like Disney had a phase in the early eighties where they put out a lot of dark stuff. Yeah. Like the black cauldron. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think return to Oz and like movies like that. Yeah. Uh, and that was part of that vibe. Like it came in like, you remember those big plastic VHS boxes? Mm -hmm. It came in one of those. Yeah, that movie scared the hell out of me when I was a kid. I have not seen it probably in 30, some 35 years, but yeah. I, I definitely saw it and it definitely scared me when I was a kid. Yeah, well, you know, um, that era, it's kind of funny because I actually just saw like a, a 
tweet where someone had all these clips from that return to Oz. It was real dark. And I think that's probably when like race to which mountain came out and stuff too. I think that's another one. I mean, it's not really scary, but I think it's from that same kind of era. But um, what I was going to say to you was I kept thinking about another source of inspiration when I watched this movie. However, I think that this movie might have inspired something else versus the movie being inspired by this. I kept thinking about that episode of um, uh, Lovecraft Country. Do you remember when we covered Lovecraft Country and there's the episode where they take over that house in the middle of the night, the white neighborhood? Yes. It kind of reminded me of that where it was like you have these people that were tortured and stuff in this house and then they're starting oh, to like yeah, come out. Remember yeah. that? I, and, and so I wonder, because I know that Lovecraft Country, I can't remember when the book came out, but I wonder if it, that was inspired by this at all, you know? Yeah, that was, I, I know it, which episode you're talking about. And yeah, because, you know, the, the whole movie, about 75% of the movie, you're thinking that there's like this one, either a demon or there's some kind of, whatever it is, is possess this little girl using the Ouija board. She like access, use the Ouija board to access spirits. And this one spirit possesses her. There's that, that one scene. What is it about 35, 40 minutes into the movie where like, you're starting to see like hints of things. There's black shadows in the background. There's all this creepy stuff, but nothing outwardly horror has happened. Right. And then Lulu Wilson uh, who plays Doris, who's fantastic in this movie. Agreed. She uh, is looking through the planchette and she, there's the, the black demon and he like reaches down her throat and her mouth like opens wide and it's this terrifying sequence. Um, and you think that that is the only evil entity in the house and you really find out that Later on, the big, like, I guess, reveal is that their house, their family home was built on the remnants of this uh, Nazi war criminal who fled to the United States and was doing these horrible experiments to people in the basement, uh, cutting their tongues out, sewing their mouths shut, leaving them in the dark, uh, and... It's the, the all of the spirits of that house are like coming alive to to get this family now, and they're they're using uh, Doris as like a conduit, and it's, uh, I mean it, I I love that feeling at the end where because really like the whole last thirty to forty minutes, yeah, uh, the the father goes to the house. And you think, oh, this is going to be like the thing that leads to, because he goes to get the uh, the seance for his, right. his wife. And you think this is going to be what sets up the final stage in a movie. In a way it does, but they never leave the house again. Right, they right. They go upstairs. They're like, all right, what's really going on here? And then, and then they realize there's this great juxtaposition of he's telling them the story while the daughter downstairs, Lou Wilson, is taking the boyfriend downstairs to like uncover the 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 the, the bones. Yes. And and then that's really it. They they never leave the house again. It becomes a almost like an exorcism an exorcism like fight between, you know, this 
Polish Nazi devil doctor and the the family uh, in the, the last like third of the movie. And it it's really it's it's scary as hell. There's typically great Mike Flanagan jump scares in this movie. Like you really you really see just how little sound he uses to set up some of these moments. Yeah. Like the, the, the body falling, the, 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 the boyfriend hanging himself and there's no music involved whatsoever. So many of the instances where you see the, uh, uh that black demon, he just shows up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, oh man. It, so, so you said, before that this movie was one of your best theater experiences. And uh, I'm assuming it has to do with that scene where you first see the girl kind of get possessed, where her head just like shoots backwards or her jaw becomes super wide. Yeah. Oh, no. So I basically I got, they, they were doing a screening of it in the city and it was like critics uh, and, and writers were down on the bottom in like the first 10 rows were like roped off for like uh, in people who were invited, like uh, I guess critics mostly. And then the rest were just free tickets given out. And the theater was packed, probably like 200, 300 people, most of which were just people given the tickets for free. Now, usually that could backfire because you'll get like people making noise, like, hey, a free ticket to a movie, who cares? The best way I could describe it is, you know, like when there's a commercial for a new horror movie and they show yeah. the, the, the crowd watching the movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what it felt like. Every moment where every jump scare, every moment where the crowd is supposed to go, <gasps> the crowd did that on cue. Yeah. And, and as a horror fan, it just felt right. It was perfect. Like, Every horror moment hit 110%. There were literally people screaming in the movie theater yeah. multiple times. Yes, the moment where the, the uh, Lulu Wilson gets attacked by the demon and her mouth opens and the hand goes in. Uh, when the, uh, the, the boyfriend falls hanging. Uh, the moment, oh my God, when the boyfriend's dead body grabs the girl swings out while still hanging and like that moment killed it in the movie theater. <laughs> it was just it there are look, we all know there are times where you go to the movies and the crowd ruins the movie. Yes, oh absolutely. Um it, you know, it, it's just a crowd that d doesn't want to be there. You, you know, why'd you even come here? Why'd you waste all this money? And then there are times where a crowd elevates a movie. Right. Um, you know, I would have loved Avengers Endgame no matter what. But listening to that crowd when you are like Spider-Man No Way Home, you know, when you hear those crowds erupt. Yeah. It it makes you feel like you're part of something bigger than just sitting in a movie theater. Right. That's what this was for me in horror. Like I, I had never been in an experience like that where I felt like I was in a, a trailer for this is the scariest movie ever made. Look at the crowd and everybody's <laughs> screaming. <laughs> it, it felt, it was great. It, yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it's funny because like 
Netflix, when you look at the the picture for Netflix for this movie, it is Doris with her mouth wide open like that, right? And I, I kind of hate that because if I didn't know that she was going to look like that at one point and I'd seen that scene where her head shoots back like that, and you know, that would have freaked the fuck out of me. And like, it makes me think about Mike Flanagan and the way that he handles scares because you mentioned sound before and the lack of sort of music. That's sort of that cliche, oh, here comes the scary, here comes the jump scare. You know, he doesn't do that, right? It's it's more like he um, really, really gets you into the reality of the situation. He really makes you just think this is a drama. It's a drama, and you're kind of expecting scares that are akin to it being a drama. Like, oh, maybe it'll be like, you'll see like a little ghost and it'll be creepy. But no, it's like, you're so invested in this drama and then all of a sudden it's like this super disturbing weird thing that it takes a moment for you to wrap your head around like because when when she like shoves her head back and, and like you know you're like what the fuck is going on you don't even really understand what's going on in that moment and i think that that's the beauty of it because it, it's like your expectations you go into a certain type of horror movie you expect a certain type of scares and his are kind of like off it's like he's got these like really dramatic kind of like slow burn things but then when you see the actual horror like midnight mass not a movie right i remember watching midnight mass and there's this great drama and you're just watching these episodes and you know it's all about this this addict and what's going on in this village and all these different you know raul cooley and his son all this kind of stuff right but then you get to that scene with the fucking church and you're like, what the hell am I watching? It's like one of the most disturbing things. You know, like Dr. Sleep. Dr. Sleep has some disturbing stuff, some weird stuff right away. Absolutely. But then you get to Baseball Boy, you know? And it's like you you feel this kind of comfort or safety when you're watching Flanagan movies for a little while. But then he goes way dark and deep real quickly. Would, would you agree with that? Or you think I'm oh, all? Yeah. yeah. I, I think that's what... I think that's one of the things that elevates him is yeah. like he he plays on real life. You know, essentially again, this is a movie about an evil board game and there's yeah. there's you know possessions and demons, yeah. there's stuff that is completely supernatural and completely fictional, but the way he handles it, it all feels like this is real world stuff. And yeah. you know, and it's it's all based on, you know, it's it's there's always an element of grief in his movies. There's always an element of religion in his movies and, 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 and dealing with that uh, or in his projects. And it, it all feels like these are real people going through a real situation, even though it's obviously completely fictional. Like you, you brought up Dr. Sleep. It's about like essentially, you know, energy vampires. <laughs> yeah. But it, you just, you're watching a little kid get brutally murdered. You're like, wait, what? Like, what is this? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we obviously love him so much on this channel. And, you know, it's it's just with good reason. that the, the violence that he does, it's never this kind of tasteless, sensational violence. It's always like, God, this is so awful. And it's awful on the brutality level, but it's also awful on like the emotional level. Because that baseball boy scene is brutal to watch. 
but then it's also just so upsetting because you're thinking about like how that boy feels, right? And I guess we probably should have said spoilers for Dr. Sleep too. Sorry, if you ever think Dr. Sleep, you probably have if you're watching a review of this movie. But um, to convey those emotions, you really need stellar actors. And goddamn, has he made the right choice of casting Henry Thomas? It's so funny because like on my YouTube feed, for some reason, I always get this one video of Henry Thomas auditioning for E.T. Like for some reason, like YouTube thinks I always want to watch that for some reason. Right. <laughs> and he he is he's just got something, man. And in this, he's able to play this priest that you can tell, you know, has gone through things in his life. And then at the end he kind of is the one that starts to give you some of that exposition and he's kind of explaining, Oh, this is how I know everything is wrong with your daughter. I know what's going on. And with a lesser actor, it, it would come off as hokey or you'd almost feel like the movie had taken a left turn when he starts saying like, Oh, well I thought this, I just kept thinking this name. I just kept thinking this name, you, you know, like you, if another actor was saying that you'd be like, Oh, all right, this is a little cheesy, but it's because it's Henry Thomas. So good. You know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's, and that goes back to, you know, him using, you know, and when he finds these actors, he doesn't let them go. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, um, so I, so, okay. Um, the mom is the sister in the haunting of Hill house, right? Yeah, it, she's, she's the funeral she's, director. Yes. And Kate Siegel's her younger sister. Right. So then, who is Lena in Hill House? Lena, Annalise Basso, she was the younger daughter in Oculus. She was the young oh. redhead. Okay, okay. So she's not in Hill House? I'm not sure. I'm not okay, sure. Right, but I don't, the... I, yeah, but she okay. was in, yeah, she's the one that grows up to be uh, a villain, Amy Karen Gillan, there you go. I was thinking of her Doctor Who name, Karen Gillan. Yeah, 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 yeah. And what's really funny is in Hill House, Lulu Wilson is uh, young Shirley and Elizabeth Reeser is older Shirley. So they're playing, uh, and Henry Thomas, of course, plays dad. Lulu Wilson's dad in yeah. Hill House. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. He, he oh, really, but, he's, he's um, just one last thing too, is that, He's very, very good at casting child actors, too. Oh, he knows yeah. what he's doing there, you know. Yeah, we, we've said that before on this channel, though. Yeah, um, you, you reminded me, uh, when you brought up Henry Thomas, uh, and you also mentioned that like one of his uh inspirations was The Exorcist. There's yeah. that scene at the end when he's walking up the steps with the knife and he's like temporarily possessed. That is that, I mean, that feels like father Karras at the end of the exorcist completely uh, agree where and then like the way he shuts the door to like save them take me is like almost father Karras jumping out of the window at the end yep and they both kind of end up in the same position at the bottom of the stairs yes uh, yes you know dead at the bottom of the stairs you know yes so, uh it just i i loved henry thomas in this um they even, you know, like, uh, uh, again, I feel like a lesser movie would have done uh, a more overtly romantic story between him and um, 
the mom. Yeah. Whereas here, it's very obvious that she has feelings for him. They both lost their partner. They, they both have that grief. Uh, she gets all dressed up to go out and meet him at the restaurant. <laughs> so, like, there's obviously, like, a connection there. But this movie just plays it like real people instead of, you know, having there be this weird romantic side plot that yep. makes you almost feel awkward because he's a priest. and Right. So, like, they don't play into that at all. Yeah. I am curious. That I, I mentioned earlier the scene that I didn't really love in this movie because you said, and you're right, and this is the thing that I always come back to because Chris is the one who first pointed out Flanagan to me. And he was the one that said, hey, you got to check out this movie. Um, uh, oh, God. Well, what was his first movie called? Oh, uh, Absentia. He, he goes, you have to check this movie Absentia out on Netflix. Yeah. And, and what Chris said to me was, the, it's a horror movie with no cliches. Oh, yes, went, yes, yes, yes. I went, that, you're full of shit. Can't happen. And, I, and that's what blew me away about that movie. And that's what got me started on my Mike Flanagan journey. Right. Um, this movie also, almost throughout the entire movie, is mm-hmm. free of cliches. Right. And the only scene that really bu- bugged me, not and it didn't bother me, like it, didn't, it doesn't ruin the movie for me at all. Yes. But is the dream sequence where um, Lena's mouth starts to close oh, up. Yeah, okay, yes, 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 yes. And it kind of looks like a hokey special effect in a movie that doesn't really, all, you know, uh, even the demons look mostly practical with maybe some like... Yeah. Uh, so that one scene, it, it almost felt like the studio said you needed that scene in there. Yeah, for a trailer or yeah, poster. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. You know, it even has, like, she's looking in the mirror in the bathroom, which is one of the more, like, cliche setups for a, a scare that you yeah. could have. Um, but that scene kind of fixes itself at the end when she right. realizes that, like, the whole sewing of the mouth Right. And the, the shutting of the mouth is important to stopping the evil or at least containing it a little bit. Yeah. At the end. So so that I'm glad that you brought that up because I do think that it was maybe made for like poster art or it was made for trailer. Um however that I feel like that image has always kind of stuck with people because I mean it's in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. I just watched something else. Oh, I watched the episode of Buffy with my kid uh, where like a cheerleader lost her mouth. I think that like ever since the Matrix, the first Matrix with Keanu, that's just kind of been embedded in our collective unconsciousness. But um, one of the things about Flanagan that's very, very interesting is that when he goes full on supernatural, you know, he kind of makes up his own rules or he, you know, has like a specific type of thing that he's doing with the ghosts and stuff or with the haunted house. And in, in this... It, he's really playing with the idea that you can get almost like poisoned by the whispers of spirits. Like when the spirits are kind of like whispering in your ear, it makes your eyes turn white. And um, that like essentially to stop the evil, you have to sort of sew up a mouth, right? That's what the dad. So the dad, obviously the dad has died. And so um, we see visions of him a couple of times throughout the movie. And at one point, uh, Lena 
has a flashback where she sees, or is it, well, it's, it's either Doris or Lena. They see where the dad, oh yeah, it's Lena. Cause um, he stitched up a doll's mouth and Lena gets mad at Doris. She's like, why did that's from dad? You, you messed up his, his, her mouth. And he's like, he said that that's to keep the voices out or whatever, to turn off the voices. And so that is such a, like the idea of like, speak no evil, hear no evil. That's a big thing in this whole movie. And it's just so well done. It of course could have been very corny and over the top in another filmmaker's hands. But like, he, he does a thing with eyes. Like eyes are a very important thing for Flanagan. You know, when you have the, the true knot in Dr. Sleep, they have that kind of glow in their eyes. The glow is very similar to the spirits in Oculus. And then in this, it's just like full on white kind of clouded eyes, you know? And I think in here, the full on white kind of represents that like a spirit has like taken you over completely, you know? And so um, just visually, the way that they handle possession in this movie is very well done. Yeah. I will say uh, this movie was kind of lacking on uh, hand assault and hand damage. It wasn't though. In the very end, the mom is handcuffed to the table and then she like rips her hand out. You remember that part? Oh, did she break her own wrist to get out? Something yeah. happens to her because I don't, they don't really show it. Like they just kind of show red lines on her wrists yeah. at the end, but she does kind of go like this. There is a part where she goes like, ah, and pulls her hand out. Yeah. I would, I would kind of expect her, like the skin of her hand to come completely off. And yeah. Like, I almost it's feel it's like no Gerald's Flanagan, game. Flanagan's going to have like a scene, like remember Terminator 2 when uh, Arnold goes to show Miles Dyson yeah. and he, oh, yeah, like yeah, that's yeah. the last thing for Flanagan where he's just going to be like, and there's gonna be a character sitting with like bone fingers. <laughs> right, 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 right. Like, here's my skeleton hand. Yes, yes. Yeah. I um so let's talk about the, the very end because we kind of talked about the stitching. So essentially, the way that the, the movie ends is that Doris, like you see right down her throat at one point, and you see kind of like I guess this is like the nexus of where the spirits are or whatever. And the eye so of Sauron. It is very much like the eyes. That's a good point. Yeah. And so um, Lena comes up with the idea of I'm going to sew her mouth shut and that's going to make this all end. And so you have the sequence where she's like going like this with like a crooked kind of needle. And um, meanwhile, like the spirits are coming up around her. And I was like, whoa, this is full on like demonic kind of uh, James Wan kind of stuff going on right here. And then they're able to solve the sister's mouth and then the sister dies. And then there's a, like in so many Flanagan stories, when like a main character dies, you kind of get that scene where like they're with a loved one or they kind of have a happy moment, even though in the real world, they're physically dead. That's happening in a lot of his movies um, and, and shows. Uh, and then the sister goes to a mental institution and that very last shot, in the mental institution that is gold man i love that last shot yeah i actually like i actually like the are you talking about with doris on the ceiling mm -hmm. see i actually like the scene right before that as it's like the long unbroken take of the guy walking down the hall and he walks past her room and she's sitting on the bed with doris oh yes yeah and he stops and is like huh and then he goes back and then she's just boom right there at the door like yeah. staring at him and then the camera pans out 
it, it's all one great yeah it's like one final uh you know get it good luck going back to your car you right. know, <laughs> after seeing this in the movie theater yeah uh, yeah uh, it, it's th this movie is i'm 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 so glad that i enjoyed it as much as i did sitting alone in my living room as i did with like hundreds of other people in a crowded movie theater six years ago because um i've always held this movie up towards the top of my flanagan rankings yes because it because of that theater experience and yes. i was always afraid if i rewatched it it wouldn't hold up as much but it really does you know it uh it, it's it's really good and and it's i love the retro feel i love the the cast i love the, the way he uses uh the, the the minimalist sound that he uses in with the score it, it's so good Everything yeah well i mean it sounds like you're setting up a segue right there man to our ranking you you want to rank the flanagan films oh boy uh so, so what do we got? Seven of them, right? Yes, and of the thing, the problem is I haven't seen one of the seven, so I haven't seen before. Right, I so wake. how about how about since before I wake is the last one that we have? Let's let's just rank the other six. Good. Okay, so you want to go first? Sure. Yeah. 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 Okay, I'm gonna start from least favorite to favorite. Okay. Okay. So, um, all right, this movie is actually my least favorite out of all of them. Uh, that's because you say this pretty much every time we do these rankings, it's like all of them are good. It's not like one of them is bad. Right. Um, so I like Gerald's game more than I like Oculus more than Gerald's game. I like hush better than Oculus. I absentia has a place in my heart. Cause I feel like that's where I got to see the forming of Mike Flanagan. You know, it's like, kind of like, this is who he becomes. Right. And I feel like it's very personal. For him and um I, I love that what's his face is in it too um the tall skinny guy that's like you know doug jones doug jones is in this too he he plays one of the i think he plays the main um dark spirit oh well, what the fuck i gotta put this as number two then <laughs> you know <laughs> no but um origin of evil gerald's game oculus hush absentia and then doctor sleep that's just like i feel like you know, I love Absentia. It's the beginning for him. Dr. Sleep is sort of like the the pinnacle. It's where he's gotten to so far with film. You know, we're, I'm not including any of his shows, which I think some of his shows are better than a lot of these. But as far as just movies, that's my ranking. Yeah, it, it really is. It's getting to a point where it's harder to rank Flanagan movies than it is like MCU movies. Because <laughs> right. Because, like, you know, we always talk about, you know, it, it would be so much easier if he would just make a shitty movie that we, we could say, all right, well, that's the one at the bottom. Like, there's no there's no Thor the Dark World here. Right. Uh, so, I, like, again, I feel like, like any movie that goes on the bottom of my list is still a four-star movie. It's like, yep. it starts at four stars, and then it goes up to, like, five plus. Yeah. So I would probably put Absentia at the bottom only because, only because it's you you so you so 
easily see how he's progressed since then in every movie. Um, I feel like, I feel like I would love to see him remake Absentia uh -huh, now. Uh -huh. Yes, 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 yes. Like, not do anything crazy different, but just now that he's much more established, now that he can get a much bigger budget, to to almost take the exact movie and just kind of do it over. In, yeah. And, and, like, I'm sure it actually wouldn't be as good because it would, you know, that's part of the, the charm of Absentia is how you know, bare bones and minimalist, minimalist it feels. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think only because his work has progressed so much as he's moved on. Yeah. Uh, I think Absentia would be down towards the bottom. Okay. Then I would, then I would probably go Oculus. Only okay. Because, because there's parts of Oculus that do kind of drag for me ever sure. so slightly. Sure. Um, then I would put, Ooh, this and hush are almost a coin flip for me. They're yeah. both, they're both like 90 to 95 minutes. They just get to the point. You know, I love, yeah. I love them both. I think, I think I would put this above hush just because of that, that feeling I have towards my theater experience. It, it elevates this movie to me. Also, because again, I, I can't get over the fact if there was ever a way for me to have less than no expectations for a movie, like walking into that movie theater that day and thinking I'm seeing the prequel to Ouija. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what the hell am I doing here? Yeah, yeah. And then to see this movie, it's, it, it adds that much more. Like the, Like if you go on... Like I have Roku and I was like, I, I, I go to search and I yeah. type in O-U-I. Yeah. And you should see what comes up. Uh -oh. It's like, it's like, you know, like, have, have you ever seen like the Amityville stuff? Yeah. It's like now they're doing like Amityville in space and yes. Amityville dog show. And it's just all these bizarre yeah. products. Ouija has Ouija. Origin of Evil. Then there's like Ouija 3. Then there's the Ouija Experiment and the Ouija Experiment 2. Then there's Ouija Shark. And like there's like 25 titles of low budget you know, indie horror with yeah. Ouija in the title. So there's it's Ouija like, Shark? Yeah, there's definitely a Ouija Shark. Uh yes. Like, how does that work? Do they do a Ouija board and, like, a shark shows up in their house? Like, what? There's a shark movie for everything. I guess so, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, so, like, the idea that this was a prequel to a crappy little Blumhouse movie that made its budget back and nobody had any expectations that it was going to be good, it, it elevates it ever so slightly over Hush for me. Yeah. Um, even though I love Hush and it's amazing uh yeah. and then i would go gerald's game and dr sleep yeah. Yeah. yeah because to me dr sleep is a modern masterpiece it, it is a legitimately great film aside from being a great horror movie it 
yeah, it's just, it was my, probably one of my top movies of, what was that, 2018 or 19 when it came out? 2019. I think it was like pre-COVID, right? Yeah, I think it was, I think it was 2019. It was, yeah. it was so good. And it's one of the, also the only movies where the director's cut, which is 30 full extra minutes, making it a three hour movie makes it even better. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I've watched the director's cut twice. It's never boring. It's consistently scary. Um, yeah, I, I love it. It's to me that is the peak of cinematic Flanagan is Doctor Sleep. I, I yeah. If we were including the shows, I okay. would genuinely put the three shows as my numbers one, two, and three. Yeah. Because I I think they're all absolutely perfect from beginning to end. I, yep. I, I have not a single complaint about any of the three series on Netflix. And I cannot wait for Midnight Society uh, to come out. Oh, yeah. We'll be covering that when that comes on the channel, too. And, you know, actually, our channel has its own Twitter account now, too. And one of the posts that we put on there was, what is your favorite Mike Flanagan movie? And I think that Danny and I were the only two to contribute. So if you guys have watched this whole episode, find out. We're the Lassercast on Twitter. Just go find us and tell us your favorite Flanagan and if you've gotten to this point, you haven't subscribed to our channel. I mean, please do. Danny and I talk like this, you know, every week or so. And we also do uh, author interviews as well. Um, what are some of the things that you have coming up in the pipeline? Uh, well, it's spooky season. Um, Shutter released a whole bunch of new things. Starting this week, I'm, I'm really, really excited. Um, uh, Bravo years ago did the hundred scariest movie moments and it was like a big deal for horror fans. Shudder is doing the 101 scariest horror moments. I think they're doing it in four episodes throughout the rest of September. Uh, the first episode, I believe, comes up on Thursday the 7th. That's today is Monday the 5th. The 5th. Two days from now. Oh, so it's the 8th. Thursday the 8th. Oh, three days from now. Uh, yeah, so yeah. We'll, we'll be, we'll be uh, covering... Shutters, 101 scariest movie moments. Uh, we also have uh, a, a ton of other things coming up in terms of uh, Child's uh, Chucky season two is coming out uh, on USA. Um, there's the new Hellraiser movie, which is coming out in October. Uh, you know, it, it's it's September going into October. Charlotte and I are super excited to be going to uh, making our first Spirit Halloween uh, oh, trip. Yes. Uh, we, we already went to Party City, and they had a much better than average horror section, uh, so we were very excited. I'm trying to get some new stuff for the uh, the section. I'm running out of room, but I'll figure <laughs> it out. I'll yeah. figure it out. Yeah, uh, and Danny also went to a cool museum called the Graveface Museum, and he... Um, he sent me the footage of like him talking about it and the pictures. I need to edit a video that'll go up this week. Uh, oh, I actually yeah. interviewed uh, Keith Lansdale, uh, you know, writer. He wrote the Pale Door, and um, you know, he wrote Christmas with the Dead, um, and he's written stuff with his father, Joe Lansdale. I still need to edit that video and get that up on the channel, but I will do that this week. I've been kind of busy recently, but we should get some videos out this week too. Um, yeah, yeah. Right, my go ahead. I, I go back to work tomorrow. Uh, I, I did a lot of traveling the last 
couple of weeks. That's yeah. I, I, we were in Savannah and then we just spent the weekend in Delaware. Uh, so, you know, work starts tomorrow. So I'll be looking for all the reasons in the world to not think about teaching starting literally tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. That means that like, you know, we're going to have a lot of content on this channel. Danny posts a video at least once a week on this channel, but we usually have more. So please, if you haven't already subscribed, please do. And uh, we will see you guys on Thursday night.